We are so honored that you would take the time out of your week to listen to this week's message. We pray that you find it helpful and life-giving. If you would like more information on Hope Church, you can check us out at www.hopedelmarva.com. That's D-E-L-M-A-R-V-A.com. Thanks for listening. And welcome to Hope Church. Man, I am so excited to be with you this morning and to begin our very, very first Christmas season as a church community. I am so excited for Christmas and all that it brings to um, our community and all the ways that we're going to have to share um, Christmas with kids and people around the world. Um, Just to mention a couple of things We have the Love Drive going on right now for Love, Inc. And next week is going to be our last week for that. Uh, So please make sure that you get uh, a check on the list that we have. There's shampoo and chapstick uh, for the kids. If you have kids, you want to make sure you bring extra because they're competing right now for serious prizes in Kidsmen. Okay? If you have to, you need to go to the Dollar Tree and get all the chapstick and the shampoo for your kids so that they can win this awesome prize in Hope Kids. The next way that we have for you to bring Christmas to communities around the world is through our giving tree, which is in the lobby. On the tree are ornaments, and each ornament has a different amount on it, and it goes to different things. For example, you can get a $10 ornament, scan the QR code, and give Bibles to somebody who needs it around the globe. I am so excited for this opportunity If you take the opportunity today and choose to give through the giving tree, you'll simply take off the ornament that you are going to give, and then I would love for you to replace it with one of our Hope Church ornaments that is on the table. In this way, we'll have a visual of how we're doing in being the hands and feet of Christ in our community and in the world around us. It's an amazing opportunity to do amazing things for families around the world. Speaking around the world, in December of 1903, After many attempts, the Wright brothers, Orville and Wilbur, were successful in getting their flying machine off the ground for the very first time at Kitty Hawk. Imagine that. They got the flying machine to work. They were so thrilled over their accomplishment that they telegraphed their sister Catherine back at home. And they said, we have actually flown 120 feet. Stop. We will be home at Christmas. Stop. Catherine was so excited that she rushed over to the newspaper's editor and showed him the telegraph. And the newspaper editor looked at it and said, oh, how nice. The boys will be home for Christmas. He missed the very important part that they had flown this flying machine. It's so easy sometimes to miss the bigger picture when we just glance by things. Today, I hope that we can really look into the scripture, look into the word of God, and uh, see some deeper things. But first, I don't think it's Christmas without a game or two. I don't think it's Christmas without a game. Do you guys like games? Now listen, I spoke in youth ministry, and I had years and years as a youth pastor. I need you to be loud, okay? This is important to me. You have to be loud. So I have to hear your answers. We are going to guess which movie is shown on the screen, Christmas movie, when the main character is missing. Okay? So here we go. Get ready to look on the screen with me. We have our first movie, and if you don't guess this, we can't be friends. 
Shout it out. Nightmare Before Christmas, are they right? Yes, because that's Jack Skellington and The Nightmare Before Christmas. Does anybody not consider this a Christmas movie? Get out. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's totally a Christmas movie. Okay, how about this one? This one's a little bit, I hope there's not like little kids. Okay, we're good. <laughs> Here's this one. He says, now I have machine gun. Ho, ho, ho. Oh, Die Hard. And my husband would argue that this is a, Christ a Christmas movie. Uh, you can't not have it. So let's see. Are they right? Die Hard? Yes. There's a mannequin with some blood on it. That's very Christmassy. <laughs> I'm not sure about the whole Die Hard is a Christmas movie thing. All right, here's our next one. This one's a little bit harder. Oh, somebody said it. Scrooge. Scrooge with Bill Murray, right? Is that Bill Murray in that suit? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. That is his name, right? I'm not wrong in this, right? Somebody affirm. Okay, thanks. <laughs> Thank you, Kyle. <laughs> All right, this one's crazy. Who's missing? Chris, somebody said Christmas vacation. I think you're right. There he is. It is Christmas vacation. And the next one, this one I had a hard time with. All right. I hear Rudolph. I hear Grinch. What was that? Somebody say poppycock? I don't even know what that is. Okay. Who is it? It is the Grinch. Look at him with his, his cold, cold heart. Cold, cold hearted Grinch. All right. Here's one. This one's a little funky. Somebody said home alone. You are incorrect. Ah, I hear the Christmas carol. Okay. Let's see. Yes. Yes. And um, the actor who played this, fun fact, the actor who played in this Christmas carol also played in The Grinch. Do you guys know that? Same guy. Same guy, Jim Carrey. He's the voice here. And the face, because honestly, that's very Jim Carrey. All right. Here, if you don't get this one, I don't know who you are, okay? I don't know what we're going to do with you. Here's the next one. Right! How could you not get Elf? Like, it's amazing. Buddy, he is trying to reach out to his dad. Anybody, can, like, anybody feel that? All right, and here is the last one. And I have to admit something to you. So I'm going to let you guess. Here it is. Okay, guess. Love Actually, Confession Time. I've never seen that movie. <laughs> I don't know why. I didn't even know it was until this game. So I was like, wait, what? I have to watch this now. I don't really know about this movie. So that, that should be on my list, guys, to watch. Love Actually. Okay, okay. All right, that's fair. That's fair. I need a new movie. Um, I think pretty much on Saturday when we were all recovering from our turkey coma, um, my kids have watched every single Santa Claus movie with uh, Tim Allen. You guys familiar with those? Yes, I think we watched all four in the day at some point. So my kids are in full-on Christmas mode. Anybody else feel like Christmas toy prices has just went crazy this year? Because it's crazy. Right? Y'all pray for parents up in here, okay? If you don't have kids yet, just bless God. <laughs> just, just thank God. No, I'm just kidding. We really love kids. Um, I also want to admit something else to you this morning. Not that I haven't just seen Love, actually, because I haven't. Um, 
I kind of look forward to January 2nd. Is that just a little too honest? I kind of look forward to Christmas being over. And I know that's sad, but it can be overwhelming. I mean, when you think about it, we can all really miss the reason why we celebrate Christmas in this crazy hustle of a season. I mean, our culture seems to make sure that, that Christ gets missing from Christmas every year more and more. It can really feel like we're missing the Messiah in all of our Christmas shopping and party prep and decoration or the school events that you get asked to bring something for and totally forget about any other parents with me on that one, right? Or all the plays. And guys, I have three kids. I have a 14-year-old, an 8-year-old, and a 3-year-old, and now they're all in school. And can I tell you, getting to all the school things is crazy. I'm glad they're all at the same school. Thank God for that. And that it's a small school and we can kind of go and do whatever. But let me tell you, the school event, concerts and trips and all this stuff. I got to go to see Hamilton this week. That was awesome for the kids' school, like with the kids' school. But I didn't know that it was 7.30 at night until like two days before. We did not get home until 1 o'clock in the morning, friends. That feels like a hustle. It feels like I'm going to a recital or a concert or a classroom party or, you know, getting a, a, a gift for everybody on the list or making sure um, I take care of our team. And can I be honest, man, relief comes on January 2nd a lot of time for me if I miss the Messiah. I don't know if you feel like this too, but, but for some of us who, who might not be so overwhelmed with the amount that has to be done during the Christmas season, for some of us, we have somebody missing from our lives who's passed away and it just feels like Christmas is never the same again. And that person left a hole in your family and in your life that you feel like no one can fill. And at Christmas time, it can really deeply affect you. It kind of puts an emphasis on who's not around. In the same token, if your family has ever experienced separation or divorce, your family and your house looks really different now. And it could be that your kids aren't with you for Christmas or you only get them a day or two. And that's weird and it's different and it's hard to navigate and it can feel overwhelming. And we can get so caught up in the feelings of the season and the busyness of the season that we miss out on the very best part of Christmas. And that's Jesus' birth. I mean, that's what we're celebrating every single year. It's not just a story. It's not just story like the Grinch or the Nightmare Before Christmas or even Love Actually, whatever that's about. I'm guessing Love Actually. Um, whatever it is, it's not a story. It's a life-changing event if you don't miss it. So this morning I want to unpack for you what it means that we've been promised a Messiah and where that actually comes from and how it comes about. So we're going to have to rewind a little bit. I love our song with us because it talks about the same God that was back in creation is the same God that had been plotting and planning our deliverance through the Messiah all along. It's an amazing truth and we're going to explore this. But first we have to talk about the problem. 
And the problem we see occurs for us in Genesis 3 in our Bibles. We have to go all the way back to Genesis. And there's a reason why God gives us all of the historical accounts of the Bible. It's so that we have a deeper understanding of the craziness of other people, okay? Because there are some crazy stories in the Bible. And here's the first one. This one is a historical account of Adam and Eve. And they're in the garden. And everything is beautiful and wonderful. And everything in this garden is great except for this one tree. Now, mind you, the tree isn't bad. The tree is a tree of knowledge of good and evil. And they're told by God, please don't eat of this tree. Because if you do... You're, you're going to experience some things that I don't want you to experience. You see, I really like John Wesley. He said it this way, and it was really impactful for me to understand the fall of Adam and Eve and mankind and humanity. He said that when man wasn't content with knowing that God is good and that's enough, when he wanted to know for himself and to, to judge for himself what was good instead of trusting that God knew what was good and trusting God was good, that's when sin entered. When God wasn't good enough and his word wasn't good enough, he had to, like a child, know for himself. That's when the problem happened. And this is what happened. In, in this garden, there's a snake and it starts telling Adam and Eve a very different story than what God had told Adam and Eve. He says, uh, if you eat of this tree, it's not going to kill you. In fact, it's going to make you become like God. You'll get to know everything like God knows. And you'll get this, all this knowledge, and you'll be like God. And Adam and Eve believed the snake, and they ate the fruit. And because of this, the goodness of the garden is tragically lost from the story. It is a tragically lost and evil and death enter into God's goodness that he had for Adam and Eve. God made the world good, but the snake is the problem. And, and, and it's a rebellion against God. This whole snake's whole story is a rebellion against God. Its goal is to get people to doubt God's goodness and to die. He wants to put people on the path towards death and separation from God permanently. That's what the snake does. And he's the source of evil that pervades in our world even today. But there's hope. There's always hope. Because right here in the story, God makes this really interesting promise to Adam and Eve and the serpent or the snake. He's going to come, there's going to be a future son that comes, and this is what it says in Genesis 3, 14 through 15. In case you don't believe me, you can look it up yourself. So the Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and wild animals. Yes and amen, because snakes are nasty, okay? And you will crawl on your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity, enmity, I tried to say that word 300 times practicing, guys. I'm sorry. Enmity. Why is that hard? It is, though. Between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. In this, we see the promise. The promise is there will be a son of Eve who will crush the serpent's head for good, but the serpent will bite his heel. 
So we have this very beautiful, very strange promise, but it's just left hanging there. The Messiah is still missing. Cain and Abel come, and the serpent whisks them away into doing dark things. And the Messiah is just missing until the very next moment when God singled out a man named Abraham. Now Abraham steps onto the scene and he is the first Gentile convert. Think about that for a minute. He was from Ur of Chaldeans. He was not, not a Jew yet. <laughs> As a matter of fact, he was quite the opposite, but God had a plan for Abraham and he saw something in Abraham and he said to Abraham that uh, you will have goodness and you will be a blessing and you're going to restore back to the nations of the world this goodness and blessing that was lost. It was a promise to Abraham. We call it the Abrahamic covenant. But yet we see that after this promise and after this covenant, the Messiah is still missing. He's still not there. There's no serpent crushing dude running around yet. Where is this Messiah? So then we come down the line and we have Abraham's great-grandson, Judah. Judah is going to be the one, right? We're hoping. We read on that Judah receives a promise that a king is going to come from his line and that the whole world is going to follow this king and he's going to bring peace and harmony. Judah says, okay, he's going to come from me, okay? Then we see the next king. Surely this is the one. David steps onto the scene, and he is faithful, and he is on fire for God, and he runs out and fights giants and takes them down with just his sling and some stones, and he stands up for righteousness, and he does what's right. Even when somebody's trying to kill him, he won't uh, avenge and kill them, and, and he does all these amazing things. And we think, here he is, the snake crusher. This is the one we've been waiting for. But unfortunately, like the rest of humanity, David has the same sickness in his heart. And he succumbs to the lies of the enemy. He does not crush the snake. Yet God makes this promise to David. He says to David that a king is going to come from his line. However, each of these descendants, one by one by one, give in to the snake. They choose evil, they go after money and sex and power and follow other gods and they give in to the snake for so long that they run the nation of Israelite into the ground. And the really big bad empire of Babylon steps in and the Israelites are wiped out. And the Messiah is missing. Where is this promised king who is going to bring peace and harmony? Where are you, Messiah? And all seems lost. But then there's these crazy guys called prophets. And they step in to the scene and they begin writing and talking about this coming king. And they remind the Israelites and they remind the people even in captivity in Babylon. Even when they're under the enemy's foot. Even when they feel the snake tightening its grip. God has a promise for them. And he says, don't worry, hold on, the king is coming. 
The king is coming. And the prophets remind the Israelites over and over. And one prophet who stands out among the prophets is Isaiah. And Isaiah tells us more about why this king is bitten. He says that the promised king will receive this fatal snake bite. And it will be... uh, It will absolutely kill him. But he also says that this is going to be the promised king who dies but comes back to life. Isaiah prophesied that that he would suffer this wound, but not just suffer it for no reason. Rather, he would suffer it so he could become a source of healing for all other people. Isaiah says, hold on, the Messiah is coming. And it's going to be good. But we have the Old Testament ending. And the snake-crushing king is nowhere to be found. Where's the Messiah? He just never shows up. And then we have the book of Matthew. And we begin to see something amazing happen right in the New Testament. I I'm so excited to share with you that in Matthew verses 1 through 17, we see the line of Abraham and Judah and David. We see it because it's listed in a genealogy. And there's three really interesting things about this genealogy. If you're, genealogy, if you're taking notes this morning, I would love for you to write some things down because they're really, really cool. I'm a nerd and I love this stuff and it's amazing. First, we've got Abraham, the first covenant, right? We talked about Abraham and the promise and the covenant that would come through Abraham's line. It began with him. So we see that it's his role that begins carrying the line forward with the promise of the snake crusher. Interestingly, it also includes something very different from ancient genealogical records. Now, this is very, very interesting, particular to me, but in ancient genealogical records, you typically do not find women. It is the men, line after line after line, and -and so-and-so begat a son, and -and so-and-so begat a son, and -and so-and-so begat a son. But here, Matthew inserts four women into the genealogy. Let's look at that for a second. We've got Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba. Four women. Now, it's interesting to me Because two of these were not Israelite by birth. That they weren't even of the line of Abraham. They weren't even good Jewish girls. These were people who had honestly questionable, questionable uh, reputations, okay? These women were not like on the up and up. And it would make them even more unmentionable in a genealogy. Especially if you're trying to prove that somebody is the Messiah, the long prophesied for king. You wouldn't include this typically. And here's why, because Tamar was a woman who posed as a prostitute to sleep with her dead husband's father so she could get the inheritance that she should have gotten when her father-in-law should have taken care of her in the first place, according to the law. And guess who that was? Judah. Judah. So we've got Tamar and Judah pregnant out of wedlock, and neither one of them are looking really outstanding right now. Can we just be honest? That is not the best thing to happen, okay? 
But here she is, right in this genealogy. And then we have Rahab. I love Rahab. I, I, I studied Rahab, and I have a, a wonderful respect for Rahab. Rahab was a remarkable woman. She was an innkeeper who might have also been a prostitute on the side, just saying things happen apparently in Jericho. But she took care of her family, and when two spies from Israel came in, she hid them on the roof and said, listen, if you make a deal with me, when you come and invade this, protect my family, and I'll make sure you're safe. And they said, deal, chica, let's do this thing. That's the Emma version of the Bible. Um, but they did this thing, and she hides these men, and interestingly enough, she marries one of them. And she goes back and she becomes an Israelite by choice. Rahab, listed right there in the genealogy. Next we have Ruth. Now Ruth was an honorable woman, but she was a Moabite. Now if you go back and you look in the history of the Bible, you go, where did these Moabites come from? Well, isn't this an interesting story? So Moabites come from Abraham's nephew Lot. And if you might recall the story of Lot, his wife turned into a pillar of salt on their way out of a burning, terrible place that God set on fire because they were so entrenched in sin that there was no salvation for them. And he goes up into the mountains and he says, dear God, I've lost it all. And his daughter said, well, we're never going to get married now. And they get their father drunk and they sleep with him and they get pregnant. These are the Moabites. They're, they're from an incestuous relationship. Why would you include this? This is insane. But here is Ruth. And Ruth redeems her name because she gives her life to God, the God of the Israelites. And she takes care of her mother, the mother of her dead husband. These two women have nothing left. And she makes sure that Ruth is cared for and that her mother-in-law, Naomi, is cared for. And she steps into a marriage with Boaz. And she's listed right there along with her husband in this crazy genealogy. And then we have, not mentioned by name specifically, but they say Uriah's wife. Well, we know from the story of David that Uriah's wife was Bathsheba. And Bathsheba and David had a relationship that was an affair that led to a cover-up pregnancy, a cover-up, and a murder. Those are all very, very interesting women right here in this genealogy. And Matthew's inclusion of these demonstrate for us that God's plan from the very start was for everyone. Everyone was included from the start. I love Craig Keener was reading his book this week, and he says this to, to the point. He says, Matthew thus declares that Gentiles were never an afterthought. You were never an afterthought when God thought of the plan. God's plan but had been a part of his work from the history, from the beginning, and this point fits in the emphasis that runs throughout Matthew's gospel that God is not only for people of our own race and our own country. He is for everyone in the world. And God used all kinds of people to bring about the Messiah into the world. And he still uses all kinds of people, all kinds of crazy people today to accomplish his will. 
And God wants to use you too. There is nothing you have done. There is nothing in your family line that would ever discredit you for service when you surrender your life to Christ and you say yes to God. There is nothing that would ever disqualify you because if God can use this list of 46 crazy people who did some jacked up things, these 46 people span 2,000 years. And in 2,000 years, all of these are ancestors of the Messiah, God's chosen king. And they all varied in personality and spirituality and experience. Some were heroes. Some were super shady. Some were just downright evil. Let's just get real. And completely gave in to that snake. But these three important points remain. God's work in history is not limited by human failures or sin. He will make a way where there is no way. His plan and his purpose for us is unstoppable, but he works through ordinary people. He works through ordinary people, and I'm so grateful. So grateful. And even though you may have had some ancestors who were ordinary or even downright bad people, it does not disqualify you from being used by God. It does not disqualify you from being used by God to impact the world that he's placed you in for such a time as this. All this genealogy and all this history is to introduce us to two people, Joseph and Mary. And we get to Matthew 18. And this is Matthew 1, uh, verse 18 through 25. We see Joseph and Mary, and Mary carried Jesus of Nazareth. And this is not just some random guy somewhere who comes uh, for out of nowhere. This is Jesus of Nazareth, the one who will fulfill all of these ancient promises. That's why the genealogy heads it up. It says, hey, hey, this is the one, the promised one, the snake crusher, the Messiah, the one we have waited for is no longer missing that's what we get to celebrate, that the Messiah who was so long in coming is here and he is with us. Matthew goes into the, the birth of Jesus this way. He said, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. Now we know what the Messiah means, right? Now we know that this is the snake crusher, crusher from the start, from Genesis. We now know this Messiah. This is the one we've been waiting for. And his mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Surprise! I mean, that's crazy, right? Think about this, though. Jewish marriage involved three steps. First, both families had to agree to the union. That means families. And that's not just like mamas and daddies. We're talking about auntie and uncle and grandma and grandpa and cousin Jojo. The family had to agree to this union. Typically, young Jewish men married in their late teens and young Jewish women anywhere between 12 and up, hopefully on the edge of 14 at least, for God's sake, but hey. So we have this Two families agreeing, 
And then there's a public announcement made at this point. This is a binding announcement, much like an engagement today. But when you are pledged to be married, it is much more serious in Jewish culture. You are pledged. And it cannot be broken except through death or divorce. Even though the marriage is not consummated yet, even though the two haven't come together yet and they're still living in their families' homes respectively, the, the man is given time to earn his trade and earn money and, and get enough to build a family and a life with this woman he's pledged to. But they don't come together yet until the marriage is complete, until there is a marriage feast. And intimacy is absolutely not permitted until that marriage feast. It is not permitted. It is absolutely uh, frowned upon, to say the least. The couple has to be married, and then they can begin living together. So that's Jewish marriage, and this is what they're into. They are pledged to be married. This is a serious ordeal. It goes on to say, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she will give birth to a son and you're to give him the name Jesus, Yeshua. He will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what God had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But they did not consummate their marriage until after she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. I want us to notice some things about Joseph this morning. Many times we talk about Mary and rightly so. I mean, Mary said yes to the responsibility of carrying to term God's son. What? That's crazy. But she couldn't do it alone. And we have Joseph step on the scene. And the Bible tells us that Joseph is a righteous man. And Joseph had the right under the law to divorce Mary. It was apparent that Mary was pregnant and he knew that he was not the father. He was keeping up his bargain in this marriage. He had done everything right. He had not committed a sin. He knew he hadn't gone there and done that. As a matter of fact, he was like, I can't even remember. We have never been alone together because that was forbidden. You would never be alone together before marriage. So Joseph has every right to divorce her. And as a matter of fact, he could have divorced her and took her to court publicly in front of all of the leaders of the church and said, she's pregnant. I'm not the baby's daddy. I want my money back and she needs to be stoned. Do you understand that? He could have had her killed for this. 
Not only could he have her killed, but he could go ahead and destitute her family by asking for the dowry back. Give me that money back for that wife. It would have devastated her family. Not only would have they been broke, but they would have been shamed. And she would have, if they hadn't stoned her, she would have never been able to marry again. And the whole entire family, auntie, grandmas, cousins, would be shamed. It would be a stigma that they would take with them for the rest of their family's life. It was a big deal. But Joseph, Joseph was compassionate. I think it's interesting that Joseph carried out the letter of the law, but the heart of the law. Joseph is a son of David. The angel points that out. And like David, he has a heart after God's heart. And while the lawmakers in Jerusalem and in Israel would go to the letter of the law, woo, she should be stoned. Give her the whole degree. Not Joseph. Joseph said, no, I'm going to do this quietly. I'm not going to take her before the people. I'm just going to separate and we'll just call it good and she can keep the money and I'm just going to, we'll just bow out and, and this will be done and that'll be enough. He had the righteousness of God and the compassion of God and he needed both to overcome what they were about to go through. Joseph knew that he wasn't the daddy, but he was convinced that God was. Now, oftentimes, uh, when we look at, at, at Joseph, we don't think about the genealogy, but he was from the line of David. He was the right line, and so was Mary. They were of the right lineage, but they had the right heart. God had looked into these people's lives, and he knew that whoever was going to care for Jesus the Messiah would have to have guts. They would have to know the law and follow the law for sure, but they would have to have the heart and compassion to do it with love and grace. He would have to have the guts to run when he said run and stay when the angel said stay. He would have to listen Joseph was chosen to be Mary and Jesus' protector and provider. That's no light thing. That is no easy thing. And we're invited by Matthew, as he writes about this, to consider Joseph and to consider things about Joseph's character that we might want to look into for our own lives. You see, Joseph demonstrated fidelity and discipline and preferring God's way over his own every single time. Joseph is told twice, we are told twice, that Joseph saved himself and saved Mary by not consummating their marriage. It is very clear that Mary is giving birth and she's a virgin. Like she's never been with a man. It's clear. And Joseph had to have an extreme amount of self-control to not indulge himself, take what he'd paid for, and do what he was supposed to do. Instead, he listened and obeyed God's plan over his own. This is what 
Kenner says about this. About Mary and Joseph and all the shame that they assumed and all of the talk that they decided was the right thing. He says, Mary and Joseph chose to embrace shame to preserve the sanctity of God's call. Joseph chose to take Mary as his wife, knowing what society would say about him, knowing what it would say about her, and he did it anyway. He preferred God's way over his own way every single time. Joseph trained Jesus in trade. He was a carpenter and he taught his son how to provide for himself and to care for himself. He taught Jesus to have good spiritual training. He took him to Nazareth and made sure he was at the synagogue. He made sure he knew all that was proper. He made sure that he was provided for. And every year, Joseph took the whole entire family to the Passover feast every single time. He didn't miss going to church, y'all. He kept them safe by obeying the word of the Lord and moving Jesus when it was not safe. When they were trying to take Jesus out and killing children, Joseph listened to an angel and that took obedience. Joseph's obedience to the Lord is not just a story. It's the facts. It's the facts that we are no longer missing the Messiah because Joseph and Mary were obedient to God and brought him into this world. It's amazing. The Messiah has come and the snake is defeated. And every time somebody says yes to Jesus, every time somebody says, yes, I'm going to accept Jesus, I believe that he is the Messiah, every time the snake's heads get crushed in their life. Every single time. Every time you say yes to Jesus, you crush the enemy in your heart and your life. And you can lift clean hands to God and say, I am clean and I am brand new because of what you've done through the Messiah. I am made right and the enemy is defeated and he has no hold over me all because the Messiah is not missing. He is with us. God is with us. And the Messiah will only be missing in your celebration this Christmas, if you allow this to be just a story. If you treat this like it's not 100% truth, then you'll miss the life-changing experience that results when evil is defeated in your life and in your family and in your community. Don't miss this. Don't miss the Messiah in the middle of this season. It's so easy to do. Now, you guys know that I am practical. So I want to give you some practical ways to keep the Messiah front and center in your life during this season. Here's two ways. You guys ready? Yes? Awesome. So we're going to remember the promise that Christ fulfills. And I have a super fun suggestion for this. Consider the journey through the generations that had to come uh, and bring the Messiah. The promise of this crushing the enemy in your life, and getting back to the garden of God. How can we remember this? Really simple. Make a paper chain. Is it not the most Sunday school thing you've ever heard in your life? I don't care. It's good. Make a paper chain. You and your family, take a piece of paper, cut them into strips, right? And I want you to write each of the descendants, all of the ancestry, one per line, one per paper chain, Tell your kids that person's story. Start with Abraham. Tell your kid in brief, correctly, 
you have to kind of censor a couple of things in their lives, right? Because it wasn't perfect. It wasn't pretty. Tell Abraham's story to your kids and then take another paper chain and write the next person's name. And if you can't find, if you can't find a story about that person in the Bible, I'd be happy to help you. But I'm telling you, all you have to do is Google it. I'm telling you, Google can come up with some stuff these days and they'll help you find where in the Bible you can read about that person in the genealogy. Make a paper chain. Tell them about each person. Talk about how that person played a role in bringing the Messiah the snake crusher, the one who defeats evil. Then on Christmas Day, this is my favorite, create the link that is Jesus the Messiah, the final link. I think it would be really fun if you made a snake's head on one end and then when you put the Messiah on the other end, you like crush the snake's head. I'm doing that because I think that's fun. And my kids will totally get a kick out of that. And what a better way to show your kids and your family the truth that the Messiah has come and he's crushed the enemy. The second and a little less interactive way, but still valuable, is to download the Dwell app. We have the Dwell app for you. It is our gift to you. You can download the Dwell app by clicking the QR code on the screen. You will be able to download that for free. And we've created a way for you to read along with us throughout this series, throughout this Christmas season. All you have to do is download the app, and then you're going to go to the Hope Church tab on your For You page. Go on the little star on the bottom left-hand corner, Hope Church, and then you're going to find the With Us plan. It's a 17-day reading plan that you can download and listen to every single day. The thing I love about the Dwell app is that you can click on the little Dwell head at the bottom, and if you have the app, you know what I'm talking about. If you don't have the app yet, it's okay. Just download it and you'll see what I'm talking about. You actually get the opportunity to have it read to you the scripture over and over so that you can know it, memorize it, and keep it in your heart. It has, I don't know, like 20 different voices and different versions of the Bible that you can hear it in. And it's so helpful. It's really, really amazing. So make sure you download the Dwell app. Make sure you find the reading plan and subscribe to it and listen every single day along with us. Now, to be honest, the very best way that you can make sure that Messiah is not missing from your life is to say yes to him today. If you've never made the decision to place your faith in Jesus Christ, you can do that this morning. I invite you to do that. While you have your phones out and you're downloading that Dwell app, I'm going to pray. And I would invite you to pray with me and say yes to Jesus today. And then I want you to scan this QR code on the screen. We're not going to hunt you down. We're not going to do anything uh, weird. We just want to send you a text and say, hey, thank you so much for saying yes. And how can we pray for you? That's what you'll get from us. And if you ever want to not get that, you can just unsubscribe and you won't get any more conversation from us. We just want to encourage you in your faith. So let's pray. If you would just honor God with your eyes closed and your head bowed for these moments. Father, we want to say yes to you. We want to say yes. We place our faith and believe that you came, that you came so that you could be with us, that Christ, you were born so that you could pay for the sin that we committed, 
that you would crush the enemy and give us freedom. I say yes to you today. Yes, Jesus. I will follow you. I ask you to forgive me for the sins that I've committed and I bring them to you and I ask you to help me to turn away from those sins and to walk in a new way modeled by Mary and Joseph. I say yes to you. If you prayed that with me and you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and this is your first time, I would love for you to, to let us know. You can even... Uh, you can you can even text to 94,000. You can say yes to 94,000. If this morning you're in here and you've walked away from God and you've let the, the snake back into your life and the enemy has, has come in and you don't feel connected to God anymore and you feel like you can't get control in your mind anymore, I want to assure you that God is with you and he wants you to come home. He wants you to say, I'm back. I'm coming back to you, God. So we're going to pray again. And if that's you, I'll pray with me. God, I've let the enemy run away with my mind and my heart and my strength and my soul. It longs for you. Would you please reconnect with me today, God? I give it all back to you. I turn from what has drawn me away from you and I crush the enemy's head through my faith in Jesus and I say I'm back. I thank you, Lord, that you always make a way for me to come back to you. Thank you for Jesus, the Messiah who provided the way home. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that with me this morning, please please text I'm back to 94,000 or scan that QR code on the screen. We hope you found today's message both helpful and inspiring. Hope Church meets every Sunday, 10 a.m. in Seaford, Delaware at the Seaford Senior High School Auditorium. If you would like more information, you can find it at www.hopedelmarva.com. That's hope, D-E-L-M-A-R-V-A, Thanks for listening.